You are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. He wept, and though he had never lived there, his emotions were overcome by the report of this once glorious city that was the crown jewel of his people being in a condition of ruin and rubble and he wept. The wonder and splendor of this spectacular place was replaced with heartache and anger as it lay in a pile of rock and ash. Jerusalem, once the centerpiece of worship, was now a distant place of shame. The once intimidating walls lay crumbled. The once ornate gates lay in piles of ash. Jerusalem, the city of peace, had become the city of anxiety. This was the remnants of rebellion against God. The end of a tragic road too often traveled for God's people who lose sight and interest in God's way and instead seek out on their own way in their own terms. It always ends like this. It ends with lost hopes. Buried dreams, fractured relationships, and broken hearts. Unfortunately, what Nehemiah was weeping about was what thousands since have wept about. People set out to live their life, their way, and find out that Jerusalem, that city of peace in their life, comes crumbling down when they live their life their way. That heart of worship is too often replaced with bitterness. Those boundaries that mark the boundaries for peace are replaced with crumbled ruins of anxiety. Nehemiah was just one of several leaders who would rise up during Israel's time of captivity after they had lost their way. They had experienced the powerful rule of King Saul, King David, and King Solomon. During these years, they had established Jerusalem as their capital under King David. They had built a temple so spectacular with gold and the finest embellishments. So powerful was this temple that the weight of God's glory would not allow the priest to stand. And they had fortified the city with walls and beautiful gates. Jerusalem, that crown jewel, that city of David, the city of peace, the hub of worship, 
and the center of business for their lives. But now, Nehemiah listens to the report from his brother Hanani, and he is devastated. While the temple had been rebuilt by Ezra a few decades prior, the city and its walls still lay weak and vulnerable without the security of those walls and gates. And I think some may identify with Jerusalem today. You're living in a place with God where worship is present, but peace is absent. Worship happens on occasion, but you are left unguarded. Faith is fragile. Trust in God is fractured. Love of God is weak. Love of God's people is distant. Our once sincere faith replaced by a cynical suspicion of God and his people. You're not exactly sure where your love of God may have gone. But one thing you are confident, it's not the same as it used to be. And if that's you, I'm preaching to you. Like Nehemiah's day, you are looking at a place that has potential. It has promise and it has possibilities. But your heart of worship and peace lay broken, vulnerable, and distorted. We're easily manipulated by the whims of an enemy that has no interest in seeing our worship in our heart for God be what it's supposed to be. But today, I want to declare, as Nehemiah declared when he stood in the shadows of a place that was full of ruin and rubble, in the shadows of that place, Jerusalem. And he said, you see the distress we are in. How Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And he said, I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. And they set their hands to this good work. I simply want to encourage somebody today who's looking at ruins and rubbles. Yes, you're here today to worship, but you know you're vulnerable to fear and you're fragile in your faith. I'm telling you today that the best cheers are not behind you, but the best cheers are ahead of you. And I want to tell you today, if he could build a city of peace in your life one time, he can do it again. And I want to tell somebody today, and I want to get it in your spirit, he can do it again. He can do it again. I don't care how many years have went by. I don't know. I don't care what's happened Be in the past and where you feel right now. But I'm telling you, God said... He can do it again. Oh, hallelujah. 
And so I preach to us today with confidence and faith. Uh, let's do this. Uh, let's build the walls again. Uh, I know you see rubble and I know you see the ruins of what might have been and what could have been. Callings that are shattered all over the place uh, and God's presence that once was so near seems distant uh, and peace uh, is replaced with fear. I'm telling you that city of peace uh, can be built again. Oh, hallelujah. God is still in the business of rebuilding lives. Walls that have been torn down, hearts that have been broken, expectations that have been unmet, dreams that have been unfulfilled, ruin and rubble. But can I tell you today, God is not intimidated by that at all. He is not intimidated by the rocks that lay in your life, uh, the rubble and the ruin in your life. No, he's not intimidated by it at all. Oh, hallelujah. Renovations aren't easy. Has anybody ever tried to renovate something? I think I've destroyed more things trying to renovate them. We're renovating our property we purchased in Oxford. A historic home built in the 1860s. It is a project not for the faint of heart. I thank you, Brother Roland, for picking me up so many times. <laughs> old walls, old floors, many, many different uses over the last 150 years creates for a lot of challenges. But what motivates us to continue pursuing this project is the vision of what God has given us. We endure the tough moments because of the belief in the moment. When someone gets into a conversation at the coffee shop and realizes they need to be baptized, that's why we endure the tough moments. When someone lifts their hands to God, the God of all creation on that second floor of that building and begins to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gives them utterance. That's why we endure the tough moments for the moment. And our renovations are His renovations. And what we find in Nehemiah is His audacity to believe. His audacity to believe that even though it looks like ruin, even though it looks like nothing, he believed that God was not finished, that God had not written off the children of Israel, but he believed that a city of peace was possible. We serve a God that's not a halfway God. God is not content to just have a symbol of worship. But Nehemiah buys into the belief that God's way is still the best way. I read this passage to you today. Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hashaliah, came to pass in the month of Shivla in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel. That Hannah and I, one of my brethren, came with the men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, 
who had survived the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broke down and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. Please let your ear be attentive and your, and let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night. He's hearkening back to the prayer of Solomon. For the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray the word that you command your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest parts of heaven, yet I will gather them from there. Even though you're as far as you can get from God, if you'll return to me, I'll gather you and I'll bring you close to me and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Says, even though you failed me, I'll gather you. I'll bring you to myself. And Nehemiah said, I've sinned. My fathers have sinned. But we're hungry for you to return. To return us to who we were meant to be. And Nehemiah, on the promise of God, sets out to rebuild the walls of that great city of Jerusalem. He goes to the city. He surveys it at night, its gates and its surroundings. And he comes to one conclusion. It's a mess. But it can be rebuilt. It's a mess. But it can be rebuilt. So let's do it again. And so that's when he says, in Nehemiah 2.17, you see the distress that we are in. How Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And he said, I told them of the hand of my God, which was upon me, and also the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us build, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. They said, you know what? We'll buy into that. Now, I'm not going to preach a long time today. But I want you to understand something. Very important that God wants to rebuild the walls. And he invites us into the process. But there's a reality to rebuilding the walls that every one of you in here, I can guarantee, have experienced. It didn't take long for the haters to join the party. 
As soon as word got out, hey, they're trying to rebuild that city of peace. All of a sudden, the hater showed up. Nehemiah 2.19, when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Jeshem, the Arab, heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? These are the epitome of the three stooges. They came to just wreak havoc. And here's what I understand, and I see it over and over and over again. If you start rebuilding your life to worship and serve God, you can guarantee that you've sent an invitation by text, phone call, email, social media, and snail mail to the enemy of your soul. Because I think the enemy is content For you and I to live in a pseudo-spiritual state. I I really don't think that the enemy is that concerned with you just showing up to church. Doesn't mind that you come to church and you do your Christian duty to be here. I, I don't think that he's too concerned either to have religious symbolism in your life. These enemies of the people of God were content to let them have a moment of worship, a place, a temple when they wanted. But the moment they tried to fortify, the moment they tried to create a city of peace, the moment they tried to say, no, this is our priority. It's not something we just do every now and then, but we've set our face to say that this is the most important thing. That's when the enemy shows up. The moment you start making worship, the focus of your interactions and your transactions The enemy of your soul will take notice. And he has one objective, to thwart the work of God in your life. And he has one weapon that he typically uses, and it's fear. When you read the story of Nehemiah, these enemies, mainly the two guys, Tobiah and and Sanballat, When they realized what Nehemiah was doing, and they realized what the people were doing, they came at it from every angle they could. They mocked them. They accused them. They threatened them. They tried to negotiate with them. And I will tell you that the enemy will use every possible angle in your life to stop you from building your life to be wholly dedicated to the Lord. He's content for you to live in a pseudo-spiritual state. But the moment you start living wholly for the Lord, the enemy will mock you. The enemy will accuse you. The enemy will try to negotiate and create a compromise. He'll try to create fear in your life to paralyze God's plan. And so in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 20, 
as the, they mocked him and they said, what is this thing you're doing? So Nehemiah answered and said, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. I don't know how he's going to do it, but the God of heaven is going to prosper us. This is the first confrontation of many with the enemy. It would certainly not be his last. And you can read Nehemiah chapter 4 as the enemy tried, to, tried his best to sabotage the work of God. But Nehemiah said, we're going to keep building. There were times when Nehemiah had to change his strategy. There were times when they had tools in one hand and a spear in another. Prepared for battle, but it didn't stop them from building. Not only did Nehemiah face that enemy, they tried to get him to come down the wall. Four times they sent him a letter. And he had some kind of resolve in him that I hope somebody would have before you leave today. He said, Nehemiah said, I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. I'm not going to negotiate with you. I'm doing a great work, and I can't come down. And not only did Nehemiah face the enemy, but he faced some natural issues as well. A famine came. And not only was there the natural issue, but then there was fighting among the families working on the wall. Doesn't that sound familiar? We start doing what's right, and we start moving towards the things of God, and someone in the church does something that takes the wind out of our sails. Somebody ever experienced that? More than you want to admit, more than I want to admit. The enemy says, see, I told you so. It's not worth it. Bunch of hypocrites. Accusations. You're trying to rebuild. The enemy just keeps bombarding, bombarding, and bombarding. But Nehemiah knew the wall had to be built. And so in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15, the wall was finished on the 25th day of Lulu in 52 days. And it happened when all our enemies heard of it and all the nations round us saw these things, that they were very disheartened in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was done by our God. City rebuilt. Worship restored. They celebrated. They set things in order. And they began to bring people to live in the city. It's a beautiful story. One that has great reflection and impact in our lives when it's laid on our lives. I want to add just a small addendum to the story that maybe is not as familiar, but it's just as real and it's just as applicable. After Nehemiah builds this wall and they celebrate and they bring all the people together and they, they get it all done and they're beginning to live their lives, 
The Bible says that Nehemiah went back to Shushan. He put his brother in charge to govern the place. He put another guy in place, Hananiah, to govern the place because they were the most God-fearing people. And he decided that he wanted to return to Jerusalem from working in Shushan. What's interesting is that he comes after 12 years of being gone. Nehemiah comes back to Jerusalem after 12 years. And he goes to the city and he goes to the priest and he goes to the temple and he's looking at everything and he opens up a door in the temple. A room that was intended to store supplies for the worship of God. Doesn't see supplies for the worship of God. He sees a bed. And he sees a couch. He sees furniture and a lamp. And when he inquires about this place, The last time he was here, 12 years ago, this was a place that they had put the supplies so the people could worship. But now it seems to be a resident. And when he inquires, he finds out that the high or the priest had given this room to none other than Tobiah, the enemy of God. There, living next to the temple, in a room that was meant to hold the supplies needed for daily worship, was living the enemy that mocked, accused, and threatened Nehemiah. You can read through Nehemiah chapter 2, where Tobiah was grieved that Nehemiah had come to seek to help the children of Israel. You can read where he laughed Nehemiah to scorn and despised him and said, what do you think that you are doing? And accused him of planning a rebellion. It was Tobiah when the wall started to be built, he mocked and said, if a fox would bump into that wall, it would be knocked over. It would be Tobiah when he heard the walls of Jerusalem were being built and the openings were beginning to be filled in that he was very angry who when he heard that the wall was almost finished and there were no openings left, invited Nehemiah to one of the villages to discuss the matter, only to intend to assassinate him. It was Tobiah who brought an open letter that accused Nehemiah of planning to set himself up as a king and rebel against the king, threatening him and accusing him. It was Tobiah in chapter 6 who hired a false prophet to try to intimidate Nehemiah through fear to take refuge in a temple to save himself from the assassination attempt. And it was Tobiah who sent letters to Nehemiah one after another to intimidate and scare him. This evil man, Tobiah, who had sought so hard to hinder the work of God is now living in an apartment on the temple grounds. Imagine 
how Nehemiah must have felt when he returned after being gone for 12 years and to find the ark enemy of God in large living quarters in the temple. The very enemy that tried to destroy the rebuilding of the wall was now given a room to stay next to the temple by the priest. It's hard to imagine and it's hard to fathom, but I think we can identify with it more than we want to realize. Where we invite sometimes this enemy We invite this enemy to a very small part of our lives and our hearts. We allow fear to take up resident. Yes, we've built walls and we've built a place of worship, but somehow this enemy ends up living next to our worship. And I'm telling you today that it shouldn't. There should never be a place in our heart for fear to dwell. There should never be a place in our heart for the enemy to have a place. I don't care how small it seems. I don't care how insignificant it seems. I want to preach to somebody today and tell you that the enemy doesn't belong in your house Don't let, don't let what's around you get in you. Don't let what's around you get in you. That was Nehemiah's philosophy. I don't care what the enemy is saying. I don't care how much he's pressing. I don't care what he's trying to do. He is not welcome here. He is not welcome here. I'm not opening the gates. I'm not opening the door. I'm not providing a bed for him to sleep in or a couch to sit on. The enemy doesn't belong here. Because what's around you should not be in you. A ship can float in water as long as the water is around the ship. But the moment that the water gets in the ship, the ship is going to sink. And I'm telling us today, I'm preaching to somebody today, I know that fear keeps knocking on the door. I know that anxiety keeps knocking on the door. I know the enemy keeps accusing and trying to get in there. But I'm telling you today, don't make a space for him. Oh, hallelujah. And so let me tell you what Nehemiah did. 12 years later, let's do it again. All right. Enemy, you showed up again. Let's do it again. And I love the story. You can read it. But he walks into that apartment. He opens the door. He grabs the furniture. And the Bible says he starts chucking the furniture out of the room. Because he said, there's not going to be a place, I don't care how small it is, there's not a place for the enemy to dwell in this house. So I'm telling somebody, do it again. Grab the furniture, throw it out. If the enemy showed up this week, grab the furniture and throw it out. He doesn't belong here. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do it again. Do it again. Pray it again. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah, you can stand with me. And not only did he throw Tobiah, Tobiah's furniture out, and the Bible doesn't tell us if Tobiah was there or not. I doubt he was because he was a coward. He probably heard that Nehemiah was showing up. He said, I probably uh, shouldn't be here. But I love it. Nehemiah doesn't just stop with Tobiah. Last few verses of Nehemiah, he goes and finds Sanballat. The Bible says he chases him out of the city. Chases him. You don't belong here. I don't know why you showed up, but you're not staying here because this, somebody say this, I feel it. This is a city of peace. This is a city of peace. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Nehemiah doesn't negotiate. Doesn't try to figure out a way to work it all in. Now he says, we're going to do it again. The enemy's got to go. I believe someone here today, and I, I know we've faced different trials and tribulations in our life. And the enemy uses all these different ways to try to gain access. Because he, if he could stop the work of God in you, he, could, he would. He wants to stop the work of God in you. So I want to pray for you today. I want to pray for you today. Some of you would say, God, I need you to do it again. 20 years ago, I knelt at an altar and I experienced the power of forgiveness, Lord. But today I need you to do it again. I need to experience your power. I need you to do it again, Lord. I need to be refilled with your spirit. I need to be baptized, Lord, with the power of the Holy Spirit today. God, would you do it again? God, I pray that you would raise the walls of this city, this city of peace. God, not so we can keep people out, but so that your work can be accomplished through us and in us. Lord, do it again. And Lord, if there's someone here today who's made a little room, they've made a little room for the enemy to sleep in, God, I pray you would do it again. We're not going to be content. We're not going to be satisfied with it living in our mind. God, I pray. I pray that what is on the outside would not come on the inside. Forgive us our trespasses as Nehemiah prayed. Forgive us our sins, Lord. God, we return to you. We return to you. We say that we are your dwelling. We are your people. We are your city, Lord. We are your dwelling place, Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Do it again today, Lord. Do it again today. I'm telling you, there's no wall that he can't rebuild. There's no city in this room today that he can't rebuild. He said, you've gone as far as you think you can go. But he said, if you'll just turn back towards me, I'll gather you. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. 
For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.